The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, the California Border Regents, or journalists of color or birders of color. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the June 9th, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. Today, KUCI's very own program director and graduating senior, Claire Moore, will take stock of life up till now, then deliver her particular commencement address. In the second segment, we'll hear from two Santiago high school teachers approaching their finish line for the school year of 2019-2020 in the Garden Grove School District, Terry Osborne and Cheryl Garcia. We'll be right back following some moments at Irvine's Black Lives Matter March last Saturday. Don't shoot! 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 United we fall! United we fall! United we fall! Welcome back to the show. My guest in this segment is Claire Moore, Radio KUCI Program Manager and a member of UC Irvine's Class of 2020. She's here to take stock of a life so far and deliver her particular commencement address. I hope I can do this interview without turning into a pile of maternal and collegial emotion. Claire hails from the city of Irvine, and as a computer science major, Claire's focus on field interests and programming language. She relishes learning new technologies for learning's sake and for the development of necessary software. She's developed an extensive list of projects and at Radio KUCI, Claire contributes generously. She is the current program director, the most responsible management job at the station. She engineers live sports events and generously dispenses tech support and KUCI program cross-promotion. On Wednesday evenings from eight until 10, Claire hosts the Sonic Supernova, an eclectic blend of music released within the last six months. Tune in tomorrow night for her last show of the spring quarter. We'll ask about whether she's got a few summer programs in her. After her graduation, Claire is packing for Seattle to start a development engineer career at Amazon. Today, we get acquainted with Claire and then we shall hear her commencement address, which she has prepared especially for Radio KUCI listeners. She comes to us today from her home in Irvine. Welcome to Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor, Claire Moore. Thank you so much for that, Claudia. Um, it's really a pleasure and an honor to be able to speak with you and all of that. It's my pleasure and it's my deepest honor, Claire. First, I guess I'm, I'm asking guests and I especially wanna know how you're doing you. All you had to do was hold it together to make it to the graduate finish line how has that seen the spring quarter? Um, 
It's been really crazy. Um, it's been helpful that I haven't been taking as heavy as a course load as I've been taking in previous quarters. Um, and so that's definitely helped. But it's been really interesting seeing how amazingly all the professors have been able to get online sort of class up and working in such a short amount of time. And I really applaud them for that. Um, it's been an amazing quarter and hopefully we'll be back in person relatively soon, but for the foreseeable future, we'll be okay. And I happen to know that they're talking outwardly about Center for Disease Control guidelines for how to make it work going into the fall. I think they are all doing flying blind right now. They, there's, there is no protocol in place as I understand. So, but I, I mean, I'm going to borrow liberally from a, at least a few sorts of computer science metaphors, but I'm just trying to imagine what kind of bandwidth it takes to be a student now, especially right in this quarter, it seems like nothing that it seems like everything is literally and figuratively blowing up in the news to take your attention off of what you want to finish up here. Yeah, it's really hard. It's kind of uh, Murphy's Law. Everything that could go wrong has been going wrong. Um, well, there have been some good things and some bad things. Um, we've been slowly trying to flatten the curve, which has been really stressful just because I miss being able to see everyone that I've gotten the pleasure to know in person, but it's been worth it. So hopefully that everything can be smooth for coming down the line and that we are able to get a vaccine up and running soon. Amen for that. So did you in your career as a, a computer science major, did you find this line of work or did it find you, Claire? Uh, it kind of a little bit of both. My mom is also a computer science major from UCI. Um, ah. And it kind of was one day she gave me a book and was like, um, <laughs> learn out of this book and see if you like it. And I liked it. And then I kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. And then at the end of high school, I came back into it. And it was just really the thing that I was like, okay. This is enjoyable for me. It's so fun, even though it can be frustrating at times. When it finally does work, it's such a catharsis that I'm really happy and privileged and just amazed that I get to go into such a field like computer science, um, solving all different sorts of problems that there are. And so does it does it come? I mean, you said it can be somewhat frustrating, but does, does it come naturally to you, the, the sort of program development and those kinds of things? Or is it, uh, how, how does that work in your head? It's a little bit of just been doing it for a long time okay. and just knowing what works and what doesn't. And some of it comes naturally, but not all of it. And, you know, there are different parts, like the hardware side of things that are a little bit more frustrating because they're more finicky and it's not necessarily you, it's just that it's very, very precise at times. And sometimes, you know, we're human. We aren't always that super precise as we need to be. I remember the precision necessary to punch cards and none of my programs ever 
none of my jobs ever finished. They crashed. <laughs> so I know about that, that finickiness, man. So let's move into your sort of your radio career that um, was it was radio a thing before you started your training, which I think was in the fall of 2017. Yeah, it was actually in the winter of 2017. Okay. Um, uh, because during the fall, just classes didn't align with the training class time. So I had to wait an extra quarter. But I knew about KUCI uh, from before I came to UCI. And that was one of the wow. reasons that uh, kind of swayed me over to going to UCI. And I'm so glad that I did. I've been able to meet so many amazing people and and just, you know, so much different music and personalities and all of that. So, yeah, I've been doing it pretty much my entire college career, um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And Sonic Supernova, how did you, I feel like I'm doing the Barbara DeMarco Barrett sorts of interview here, but um, for the spotlight, but so how did you come up with that you wanted to, you were dedicated to the proposition of last six months of music that you would present on your show. So yeah, so originally I had a show that was called um, Radio of the Rising Sun, and it was all East Asian artists so from Japan and China and Korea. But I really wanted to showcase what we were getting in the station. I was mm -hmm. really enjoying the physical CDs that were coming into the station and that I was kind of getting the opportunity to play on that show, but not as much. And so um, kind of as a thing of, we're getting all this music, I want to be able to play it and highlight it and focus on it. And so that's where the show comes from, is kind of that need and desire to see all this music that we're getting played. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Claire Moore, KUCI DJ and program director and she's graduating this spring from UCI reflecting in her transition now from the UCI computer science undergraduate program and the the work we're talking about now at Radio KUCI. So are you thinking of are there a few summer programs in you or are you in getting ready to pack up after you graduate? Uh, as of right now, my plan is not to continue in the summer. I have no idea uh, how much time um, I'm going to be needed at work. Um, and so I don't want to commit to something that I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow through with it. And I also won't be here in Orange County. So in the off chance that everything opens up a little bit more, um, I won't be able to come back into the station at all anyway. And so I want to give it to the next generation of KUCI and have them have that spot that I had for uh, a couple of quarters and to help pass on the tradition. Well, then that makes it essential then we all have it. We all listen in tomorrow night at eight o'clock. It's your last show. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for being a good one. Yeah, and so I don't. I, we'll we'll find out later what you're going to post there, but uh, play for us. But it's been a. It's usually a tradition in regular times where we can all sort of mass up inside Studio A and celebrate 
the sort of the, the sign-off show and that ritual will not be a part of what we're going to do. So you're going to have to know that there's this cosmic supernova fandom. <laughs> the stands are going to be listening. Ears to the radio speakers. Yeah. I'm really blessed to everyone who's listened in, even if it's just been for a show. So yeah, um, if you enjoy um, what the show sounds like or you've listened to the show before and want to tune into the last one, feel free to tune in tomorrow night uh, from 8 to 10 p.m. And so Claire, when you move on up to Seattle then, so does Amazon offer protocols for how you're gonna be working remotely? What, what kinds of things are you gonna be doing that way? What do you anticipate? Uh, I anticipate having to work remotely for at least a couple of months. Um, as with anything, everything and anything in this pandemic, it's really play by ear. Um, we don't know, you know, if the CDC recommends to stay social distancing a lot more. We don't know what the state of Washington is gonna do. We don't know what the state of California is gonna do, you know, a week, two weeks down the line as we get more data about how uh, everything is progressing. So it's anyone's game at this point. And oh. Yeah. Well, Claire, are you ready? Would you, I've asked Claire, uh, it was a while ago, and I thought, I really want to give a UCI student an opportunity to do their own commencement address. And I asked Claire, she was the first one I asked, and she accepted this request. So Claire Moore, please offer the class of 2020 your commencement address to all of us. It's finally here, 2020. Um, I am so happy that it's finally over, but also sad at the same time. I've had the wonderful privilege to meet uh, so many different people who have held so many different perspectives. Uh, I know some of us have been here for four years, some for five, um, some for three, like myself. Um, and it always seems to come too soon, especially since it was cut short a little bit more than we all expected. I'm especially grateful for all the friends that I've made uh, in computer science, um, doing my minor in Japanese here at QCI in Irvine at the radio station. And I hope to treasure those friendships for as long as I can. Um, it's a bittersweet moment because I won't be here in California or in Orange County for all that long, but you know, I helped make a lot of great memories and I know all of you did too. And so we have those memories to live on and to tell to our kids and grandkids what it was like to go to a research university here in California um, at the turn of the 2010s. I hope that everyone is enjoying what little they can. I know that times are really rough right now um, and all of the problems here in the world are kind of being laid bare by the pandemic and um, 
there's been a lot of protesting and a lot of police brutality and a lot of uncertainty. But one thing that I know from meeting everyone that I have is how strong we are, how resilient we'll get through this, and how dedicated we are to see a better world. So I hope that you will see the light at the end of the tunnel, um, and I hope that we all continue to fight for that light. Um, so as the motto is UCI, Fiat Lux, let's uh, believe in and see the light uh, at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully we'll get through all of this in one piece, and we will have stories to tell to our descendants and to um, the people that come after us. Roaring applause, listeners everywhere joining me in there. That was a marvel, Claire. Thank you so much for doing that for all of us. Been a pleasure. I, it's been such an such a delight, such a pleasure, and you've been so supportive of some of my sort of a few wild tears I've been on where something blew up and I didn't expect it to at the, it's always at the wrong time, there'll be a technical glitch and you, you'll drop some things so that you can come in and see if we can resolve this. So you've been such a marvel of a colleague. I'm so grateful to everything you've contributed. I wish you so well and I wish you all the safety that I can muster given everything that the headwinds that go that are that are coming in your way and i i hope that the sunlight you withdraw here from KUCI from UC Irvine from Irvine and Orange County i hope that sunlight that will be much needed in King County and Seattle you'll bring it there and you'll keep it there i wish you such luck claire moore Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Claire. My guest was Claire Moore, KUCI DJ and program manager, graduating this spring from UC Irvine with the class of 2020, armed with a computer science major and a Japanese minor. All the best, Claire. We'll be right back with Garden Grove Unified School District teachers at Santiago High School, Terry Osborne and Cheryl Garcia, as they wrap a very unusual academic year. Welcome back to Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. My guests in this segment are Terry Osborne and Cheryl Garcia, Garden Grove Unified School District teachers at Santiago High School with over six decades of service between them. Terry teaches biology and also has taught advanced placement environmental science until recently to get the next younger teacher going before Terry's retirement. Terry founded and runs the Student Sustainability Council and helped write a grant in 2014 called Drought Outreach Program for Schools, which the district has awarded for close to $2 million. She's been the environmental club leader for 30 years. She completed her bachelor's degree at UCI and completed her teaching credential there. She's involved with Citizens Climate Lobby, Climate Reality Project, Earth Guardians, and with 
the Orange County Interfaith Coalition for the Environment. She also happens to be the mother of a guest who's appeared often on this show, Shahir Mazri. My other guest is Cheryl Garcia, a little bit about her. She teaches biology and she wears the following hats, so many, swim coach, cheer advisor, and ASB advisor. Cheryl completed her bachelor's degree in biology from Cal State University, Long Beach. Welcome to the show, Terry Osborne and Cheryl Garcia. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. That's Terry. And I also am very pleased to be here. Thank you. That was Cheryl. Well, first, how are you two holding up? I'm doing great. That's Terry. <laughs> I would say it's been a little rough. I feel like it's kind of a difficult time in light of not only the pandemic, but the other uh, very emotional things that have been happening in our country over the last couple of weeks. Absolutely, I agree with that. Okay, and I, I'd like to roll back here in, let's say, the early part, early month of this year, let's say, well, in the winter. I don't know, I'll let you tell us when. What, when were the first indicators that your school was going to close? Well, let me go ahead and take that if you don't mind. That's um, Terry. I recall in the end of January, January 29th, we received our first notice from the district about COVID-19. And then about a month later in February, the Garden Grove Unified was monitoring and receiving guidance from the local state federal health agencies regarding COVID and following up with what the Orange County Health Agency was, was telling us and putting out um, suggestions and emails uh, if your child is sick, keep them home. School closures were being considered and travel advisories, et cetera, and quarantines. And then in March, mid-March the 12th, we received notice that large gatherings were canceled, anything with over 250 people in attendance, or even smaller gatherings if the venue was confined where you couldn't really social distance. And our district was great emailing every update, so every Friday with parents and, and teachers alike, weekly conference calls with the OC Health Department. And then we got notified March 13th that closure would be the next Monday. And when you were having those conference calls, was that with representatives of all of the school districts in Orange County, or were they talking, did they have direct one district after the next immediate? Uh, conversations. I really don't know about that. Cheryl, do you know about that? I do know that our district was working closely with other districts as we saw Los Angeles Unified shut down, make the announcement, and then Santa Ana Unified. We knew that it was eminent because our district, of course, would want to stay in the same pattern, not, not to go outside of what was suggested, obviously. So, so I'm interested, and I think we all are, for you to talk about the transition, the time frame. I mean, you've given us a little bit of the time frame now, but the resources that your district offered you to change your pedagogy on the frickin' dime. Well, I, I won't forget the moment that they made the actual official announcement it was the last five minutes or so of, Friday, of that Friday, the 13th of 
of March and I had my swim team with me and we were just on the cusp of announcing who the swim captains would be. And the principal came over the uh, intercom and said that when the bell rings in a few minutes, the students needed to clear their lockers, that school would not be convening on Monday. <laughs> and uh, it was it was pretty shocking to all of them and to me, and it was a very sad time. And then our district uh, required all of the teachers to come in on that Monday morning mm -hmm. to make a plan, two to three week plan to get through that first part of the closure. And that was, we were told we couldn't come back after that. Yeah, we had a couple of weeks before spring, before our spring break. So we were getting together assignments and um, activities and work that the students could do between closure and the beginning of our spring break. So did the district offer any kind of tools about remote learning or did, did they say, uh, you, you guys are on your own, help yourselves out, right? <laughs> How did that transition serve you? Or was there any at all? I think that it happened so quickly that nobody was really prepared for it. Luckily though, our school district is very proactive in terms of providing uh, those services to us. So throughout every year, we have multiple opportunities to participate in professional development where we learn what kind of technology tools we could use. So most of us, if not all of us, already had in place Google Classroom, uh, we hadn't used Zoom up to that point, but very quickly we learned how to use it from um, attending meetings with our principal. And now every Tuesday we get from our district a Tech Tuesday memo mm -hmm. that gives us new ideas about what we can do to in, enhance distance learning. Uh, Terry? Yeah, so we have, uh, we have some staff as well at our school that are, are techs experts, and they've been sending out uh, different videos and ideas about what they're doing and we can learn from them. I've, I've actually, that's how I started using uh, one of my tools, which is Screencastify, which I can make videos of myself talking as I would in class and put a little insert of my picture uh, talking along with my PowerPoint and um, that's been a really useful tool. So it's definitely a learning work in process, but initially those first few weeks we were putting up uh, we were making work available, hard copy work that the kids could actually do with their textbooks as we transitioned into the kind of the digital age for ourselves, um, having things they could do ahead of that for them. So what you, you bring to my mind the question about whether, what proportion of your instruction has it been a live broadcast versus uh, like you're talking about that software, Terry, Screencastify, mm -hmm. that so it was a pre-record thing. What, how did that break down, what your instruction, live versus pre-recorded materials? Uh, Cheryl, you want to take that first? Well, myself personally, I, I meet with my classes once a week in a Zoom meeting. And in those meetings, we take as much time as we need to go over the material. I answer any questions that they have. I haven't actually done any direct lecture or direct instruction during that time. Oh, just reviewing what their homework was or what they have been working on up to the point of the Zoom meeting. And I and I think I'd say, pointing off what Cheryl had said, the Screencastify is something I've begun using most recently, probably within the last few weeks. It re was relatively new to me. 
So I did the same thing in terms of uh, Zoom meetings with my classes once a week and then transitioning to office hours and helping them with any questions they have, any homework questions they have, and just being there for them uh, throughout the week. And then, of course, checking in with them twice a week with classroom, um, having them let me know if they have any questions and being there um, in that venue as well. Well, a kind of a, well, a delicate question. It's a specific thing. Did you ever see on the screen something that you thought needed to be managed as not a, a mandatory reporter, but up to that kind of level of concern? Uh, no, not for myself. On Zooms, you mean? No. Right. Actually, I received two emails that were concerning to me. Uh, one, the student described that she, she was a bad person and that she had been lying to her parents about not having done her work and she was apologizing and um, stating that she would make up all of her work. That was a little scary and our administration jumped right in along with our counseling staff to find out what was going on. Uh, another student just expressed that she was completely hopeless. She didn't have any motivation to continue and so again, our counseling staff um, addressed that immediately. And were you aware of how they handled it or that it was just handed off to them and that was on them and you're not aware of how that worked? Myself personally, I have continued to stay in touch with those two students and just kind of monitor from afar. But as far as the specifics of uh, what was done? No, I didn't have anything to do with it directly. Okay, so you you did what you followed through with your own pedagogical tools to deal with what concerned you, and that was your lifeline. And then the district had their own counseling lifeline extended. Correct. Okay. So yeah, and I go ahead. Well, I'd add one more thing to that because I think it's kind of related, and that is as we moved and transitioned into this different way of teaching and learning we all had to learn what amount of work is doable by the students without them getting stressed out. Yes. So we have to remember there are five or, or six teachers, usually some even have seven, throughout the day for the students. So how much work can any one of us give them for the week? And that was, that took a little give and take and, and uh, then we, we decide our principal, I believe, uh, I can't remember when we were advised to kind of keep it to two two assignments per week per teacher so that the students don't get overwhelmed. Cheryl? Yeah, that's correct. I think early on we all kind of felt like, well, do we give them an hour every day because we would normally be meeting with them an hour every day and then they would have homework on top of that. But we found out really quickly that that wasn't going to work. Um, the kids' situations were all different, but for the mm -hmm. most part, Many of them have become the caregivers for younger children. Mm -hmm. They're tutoring their younger siblings or their cousins. They don't have time to spend five hours, six hours a day um, just on the computer with the teachers. Wow. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Garden Grove Unified School District high school teachers from Santiago High School, Terry Osborne and Cheryl Garcia, and we're talking about obviously teaching in the age of COVID in 2020, in the spring 
and the tail end of the winter quarter and into the, the spring term here. So how have you been able to help students manage those that lack connectivity to do the kinds of remote instruction? Well, we provided them with resources that don't require that they have the same amount of connectivity. We have had all kinds of different issues with students, some who didn't have an internet connection or who lost their internet connection, whether they weren't able to afford it anymore or something happened with their cell phone or their technology. We can go into that more later if you want as well. We were um, also applying with our digital online teaching things they could do that would just require the textbook. And anybody who didn't have their textbook when school closed, they could come back to the school and get their textbook. So they always had that resource. Um, and then it would we, be like in their locker or it had to be in the classroom. Where, no, I mean, well, some of them, they all had one they could have checked out and taken home and left at home. But some kids, if they kept it in their locker or they lost it or whatever the case may be, they could come and get another one. We would check okay. them out another one. Okay. And then make available to them hard copy things they could do with the textbook if they didn't have access to the digital media. Yeah, the, the, I would add that the district also allowed students to pick up computers. So if the issue was that they didn't have the technology at home, they could come in and pick up a Chromebook. And I know that we issued over 500 Chromebooks in just in the first couple of weeks. Those had yeah. already been procured before the yeah, beginning we, of 2020? Yeah, we have nearly a one-to-one -one ratio of Chromebooks to students, but they were assigned to teachers. So they took those carts apart and they just started passing out Chromebooks to the kids. And also many of the private internet companies and phone companies have provided unlimited data and uh, free internet. So we've kind of taken advantage of that as well. So yeah. I, yes, Terry. Well, yeah, so we were communicating with kids and with their families to let them, like, to make them aware of these kinds of resources that were available to them regarding their, their free Wi-Fi, their free internet, um, and all the other resources. So did it seem like it was getting resolved, or is it just sort of starting, like, you were talking about some of them were losing maybe some of their connectivity Wi-Fi internet accounts. But, I mean, what was the trend going on over the, up well, until right now? Well, for me, I, I was aware of, you know, a handful of students who were having these issues. The administrators were on top of that, and they they were resolved pretty quickly. Kids would email me. Some would go to a friend um, relative's house and, and email, or just go to a relative's house and do some of the work. Mm -hmm. But once we found out these issues existed, uh, we quickly put them um, in touch with the school so they could go pick up a Chromebook for themselves and get hooked up to the media. So the the issues I had seemed to be resolved pretty quickly. Okay. Well, I, I don't mean to be sarcastic with my question, but two of you are, your subject area is aligned with what's going on in this public health pandemic catastrophe. Was, were you finding teachable moments in biology and a pandemic? Well, I'll say one thing that was somewhat interesting. I assigned a research project on this before no. Any of this ever happened? No. Just not related to this at all. The kids, would, the, my pre-AP kids were uh, researching different kinds of coronaviruses. I never, ever anticipated any of this. So, um, and one, once this took, 
took place and broke out, then I think we were advised not to have the kids doing any research that would have them digging into things that might be um, stressful or concerning or scary for them. Do you recall that, Cheryl? Yeah, initially we were asked not to assign uh, like graphing of the death rates of COVID or anything like that, of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. um, I did personally give them an extra credit assignment over the last couple of weeks that was online. They watched a variety of uh, short clips of videos that taught them not just about COVID, but just about viruses and how the immune system reacts to viruses and, and then more details specifically about um, this virus. Because I feel like, not to scare them, but they need to know why it's uh, uh, such a big issue and, and um, maybe help prepare them to make sure they don't get it. If there were some videos that talked about how to keep yourself healthy and also about washing your hands and good sanitary procedures. Well, so I understand that how individuals, not necessarily just students alone, but the, the po human pool is how lots of people cope by getting as much information as possible. So maybe you saw that kind of coping with your students. There were some that just had insatiable sort of need to know, understand how it all works, and others that maybe you, you, you had that kind of continuum of students coping with the, the need to know, that, or the, the lack thereof. Yeah, I would say that that's, that's accurate. Um, I think the biggest issue for students has been just uh, the hopelessness of the situation and for them that just drained their motivation so it wasn't so much for me it wasn't that they didn't have access to technology it was the the kids who haven't really connected when I talk to their parents they say I can't get them to get up they sleep all day they just have no motivation to um, to get anything done yes Terry yeah, I would say I have encountered that a little bit as well. Um, thinking of of a student who kind of fits what Cheryl just said. Yeah, these were these were you know high scoring good students before closure, and yeah, this hits everybody quite differently. Everybody has a different reaction to it. I'm kind of wondering, not that you're you have a view on the kind of vocational trajectory that your students are on, but you might be. And I, I asked this of the the dean of the To Be Formed UCI School of Public Health, I asked her, does the pandemic, does the age of COVID bring on a, a sort of a, an, a spike in interest in public health careers? Are you seeing any kinds of student reactions? Because we're talking about, understandably, many are, are overwhelmed and burnt out in this quarter, but are you finding some that are saying, wow, this, this is the shiniest, sexiest career we got going. I, I want in with my, my AP biology training I'm getting here. That's where I'm headed after, after high school. That would be a good Cheryl question since she's got the juniors and seniors. I have not heard anything from freshmen at all related to that. How about you, Cheryl? Yeah, I haven't heard any of them talk about that right now. I think my AP kids had just were so focused on trying to get through the test, which changed quite a bit with mm. um, with all of this. But I could see that that in the future might be a path that kids will choose because they they do have a big interest in how this 
occurred and looking at how it's changed life for everyone no one ever thought that we would be in this in this place so i i'm sure that that will that will weigh heavily on on their choices as they move forward well i i guess i want to get a bit in your heads a little with how much did the two of you learn about your relationship to the classroom the pre-pandemic the the old normal how what processing how how long much longing is there for that that old classroom that maybe you took for granted before <laughs> well a lot i miss my classroom incredibly i really do i i miss interacting with the kids and it there's no way that this is anywhere near the same and uh and then when the kids sometimes when they come on zoom they they don't show their picture and they you don't really see them many of them or even hear them they mute themselves it's, it is not in any way shape or form like being in the classroom and having those relationships and, and establishing that rapport with the kids uh in the classroom for me cheryl um yes uh, terry and i are both very student-centered teachers um, this is not what I signed up for. Uh, it's been very depressing to me, and I am not a person who is easily depressed. I don't think I've ever been depressed in my life, but these last few months have been really hard. And I also wonder what the future looks like. I'm the activities director. We're supposed to plan activities in my ASB class. Oh, yes, doesn't, that's right. Doesn't know what to do about planning for the fall, um, what this is going to look like. It's just, there's just so much uncertainty. But of course, we try to put on a strong front so that exactly. Kids, yeah. So it's just, it's been, it's been tough. It's been tough. So when you're putting on the strong front, is there a, a kind of a, a place you can go and you can relate to them, the, the extent to which you could validate how your students are processing this pandemic? And is there, a, have you been able to say, and kids, you're gonna get through this and life after this, you're gonna look back on this as such a, a remarkable achievement. Is that part of the emotional and interacting vocabulary? Or am I being too, too saccharine about that? You no, know, I, Sharon may have better input because she does deal with the ASB kids. I haven't had those kinds of conversations with my freshmen. That just yeah. hasn't come up. Okay. What about you, Cheryl? Yeah, I would say, actually, even with my freshman class, my biology kids, I added a couple of questions to their last uh, quiz. Um, oh, what kind of questions? Well, one of them said, the best is yet to come, yes or no. And of course the answer was yes. And uh, I, I feel like it's important for them to continue to have hope, of course. I find myself, every time I add an announcement to my Google Classroom, it starts with, I miss you. And it ends with, I love you, because mm -hmm. I don't know what they're hearing at home, but I want them at least to hear that. With my ASB kids, I actually sent each of them a small journal and the outsides of the journals said things like, be happy. And I don't know, I bought them on Amazon, but <laughs> I, I mailed them to them and I also sent them some stickers. And 
they were so grateful and a lot of them have said that they have been using them to journal and we actually have had a couple of assignments where they had to write about the good things and the negative things regarding this and then I looked them over and there was some pretty you know very personal stuff that they wrote about so wow. you know and I'm so glad before it's funny because not that long before all this I had just started mindfulness mm. practice in my in some of my classrooms and I did and it made me feel really happy that some of my kids messaged me in classroom saying Miss Osborne thank you so much for the mindfulness practice it's so helpful. I, I use it to find some peace in all this. And that made me really happy because those, those practices and these kinds of things we're talking about right now, they're important during, especially during times like this. And that's what I tell them, especially during times like this, to be able to tap into kind of a, a space of quiet and, and peacefulness when there's a lot of other things going on that are very far from peaceful. That's an amazing tool. I can mm -hmm. imagine how gratifying to, that you had that already in place because learning another brand new thing in the middle of a pandemic is a it's a beyond it's over the top kind and of i demand. believe we had a teacher cheryl i can't remember who somebody was actually doing a mindful mindfulness zoom practice yes once it's not the same it's like one more zoom to do right <laughs> that's true <laughs> It's not the same. Yeah, I can actually see mindfulness taking center stage after this because it's slowly been making its way into secondary um, mm -hmm. schools. And I can really see the value in it. And now with all of this, especially in the homes of our students, which are probably uh, crowded and um, it's hard to find a space to yourself being able to just take yourself out of that and relax and and Meditate will be a tool that will help people get through tough situations like this And and to what extent I mean I I know that there's already an inordinate amount of extra work here But how much sort of cross-training have you had with your colleagues? So let's say if you're trying to draw out how your students are doing if there's the the language arts colleagues of yours or uh, i'm trying to think of other or other creative arts are there is there any kind of crossover of what your colleagues can offer each other in the way of tools to help your students cope well i think some of the tools like the screencastify i mentioned came from a teacher in a different curriculum than myself mm -hmm. and so they people share um, at staff meetings or share on via email Things that they're doing that are working for them and share either videos of it or and tell us how to do it and, and tell us feel free to email them if we're having any trouble and they can help walk us through it so we have a lot of cross communication between the different departments yeah that's certainly that's certainly increased since um since all of this so we do get emails at least weekly multiple times a week sometimes from different people oh look i found this resource um, okay it's working great and if you have any questions let me know yeah and, that, and, and it sort of begets more cooperation from coming the other direction so goodwill it's sowing sowing a lot of much needed assistance in the future well so um i'm aware that we're all aware that the budgets are going to be looking 
very differently in the next quarter of the year than we had expected when the first budgets were pushed out last summer. So in preparation for this interview, Terry and I were talking about there's some, some disincentives, some unexpected outcomes of the budget cuts that could change the salary picture for educators that might bring on some earlier retirements. What do you two have in the way of your schedule for as educators at Garden Grove Unified School District? Oh, you mean as far as how much time we're, we're gonna be there? How long are you gonna stick it out? Uh, yeah, I, I have a five-year plan. So in five years, I'll be 61 and a half, and that time, that's the perfect time to retire, as from what I have heard. So uh, I will stick it out for those five years, for sure. And uh, I think the budget crisis is dire. Uh, everything that I have read in the last few days and weeks, um, it does also lend a lot of uncertainty to the situation. But I think one thing about teachers is that we know what our job is and we're just gonna go in there and do it. So mm. it is what it is. Wow. Yeah, That's and I, uh, this is my year I could go. This is my, like like Cheryl was saying, certain number of years teaching and age. This is the year I, I could retire, but I just don't want to yet. I love, I love what I do. I love, I love my friends and the staff. I love being with the students. I love teaching. I love that rapport. I just don't feel at all like I want to retire yet. And I don't know how all this will affect that decision, whether I should or I shouldn't. So I have to look into some of that myself and I, and I will be doing that. But psychologically, emotionally, I really don't want to go anywhere. Hmm. So as we draw down in our time, when exactly, what's the date? What's the finish line for the year 2019-2020 school calendar year? The last day of school is uh, June 12th, next, a week from today, one week from today. From this recording. We're recording today on June 5th, but um, yeah, so... June 12th. And then are there instructional obligations, things that you would do in normal school years, things that you would do when the students have disbanded, have disencamped, but since they're already remote, are there more things that you have to do after June 12th? I don't have any obligations for the summer. Cheryl might with ASB. I know they, they did ASB camps and she may have other summer obligations. Um, I don't know how that will look, of course, this year. I would say this personally for myself and probably for Cheryl and some of the other friends I've talked to that we're going to spend some time continuing to school ourselves on on being better and better uh, distance teachers because these are skills that are new, new to me, new to many of us, and we can always learn new strategies on how to be more effective distance teachers um, depending on what next year looks like. So do you imagine yourselves connecting with anybody anywhere in the country that I can just imagine like a zoom panel of educators, <laughs> a national one, but just like, it's like dots. It's like stippled effect of all this, the faces on a screen of a zoom session. But um, not that there's enough bandwidth to do that, but 
I, I guess, can you imagine that there's going to be a real scramble of technology, uh, pedagogy transfers going into the summer and getting into the summer, getting out of the summer alive with what people have to share with their lessons learned, no? I, I think that's already happened. Uh, I'm part of Facebook groups for national AP biology teachers and the NGSS biology platform. Okay. And teachers there have been, have been uh, sharing with each other and there have been multiple Zoom meetings set up by private companies and also by teachers nationwide to share ideas. So I think that that will probably continue into the summer because I think all of us are fully aware that we're probably headed into some kind of blended learning fall. And I, I know that the protocols are up in the air. Not, nobody's gonna forecast any anything in specific, but is there a date that you think is likely though? that this next calendar year, school year 2020, 2021 will start? I think that we will know a lot more in mid-July. That's kind of a target month that we might be hearing more about it. I think our reopening will be a similar date as, as it has been in the past. We have a newly formed stakeholder task force on school reopening that is consisting of staff and students and parents and community members, et cetera, okay. uh, to provide input to the district as to you know, what the needs of the community are. They're sending a survey out to you know, 27,000 or so parents and staff. So I think they're going to be gathering all that information and analyzing it and doing a lot of searching to find out what, what and of course, keeping in, uh, in touch with the county and the, the health departments, what school reopening might look like next year. But I anticipate the date would be the same date as it has been in the past. What do you think, Cheryl? Yeah, I think they've already announced that the, the start date for us will be August 24th. The, oh, right. Okay. Their start date. Yeah. So that's as far as what it will look like, hmm. yeah, the district wants to make sure that they involve all stakeholders in that decision. And that's that would speak, that's within your Garden Grove Unified School District, but each school district, that's the activity right now. Every district is doing the stakeholder kind of conferring. I know that the Placentia Yorba Linda school district sent out a survey to their parents because I received it even though my kids are, are out of school. So I think that that's probably standard protocol. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I think your goddesses and their gods, if there were some male teachers present, that <laughs> you held together so much with no warning, not much of a safety net, and I guess it's just it's the the goodwill and the what your the kinds of ways that your students level with you, how much they appreciate you. I guess that that can help keep it together. But I just applaud you. It's just too facile of me to say that, but I applaud your the largesse of your keeping your heady careers so vibrant and so intentional and so effective. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Claudia. Thank you. Well, I want to. Thank both of my guests. They are Terry Osborne and Cheryl Garcia, Garden Grove Unified High School teachers at Santiago High School, talking today about teaching in the, not the age of COVID, teaching into the headwinds of COVID. Thanks again, ladies, so much. Thank, thank you. you very much, Claudia. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Terry, and thank you, Claudia.
Well, that was my wrap. Next week, investigative journalist Catherine Stewart has a new book out, The Power Worshippers, Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. We'll bring it all home with our local culture wars in the age of COVID. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Keep sporting that mask, okay? Okay.